Welcome to Practical Theology, a podcast series by Battle Creek Friends Church. Our hope is that by listening, you feel equipped in your faith to speak out in confidence about what you believe and live it out. We're here to help you seek the Lord throughout your day. So here's your host, Bible teacher, father, husband, and guy who likes cookies, Leo Wilson. Hello and welcome to Practical Theology. Today we continue our conversation on God and his relationship to peace and anxiety. Last week I gave an example of an art contest that was happening during World War II and how the artists were challenged with painting peace. And people painted a lot of still pictures and calm waters, but the winner was a guy who painted a storm with a waterfall raging in the background and a branch out of that waterfall with a little bird on it and the bird was singing and tried to get up the idea in our heads of what peace actually is. And it's not just being at rest um, or everything being still and calm and no struggles, but a state of internal shalom, as the Hebrews would call it, a state of peace where despite what's going on around you, you are all is well with your soul, you know, to rob a line from the song. And I wanted to, we talked about the first part of that was how God is the source of peace. And we gave um, probably the biggest example there for looking at it, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. But today I wanted to talk about where we left off, and that is how righteousness is tied to peace. And the concept there is the end of Philippians 4, 4 through 9, where it says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. To put something into practice is to, to actually live it out, right? What we always end this podcast with, the concept of going and living it out. Because when you put that in motion, like the bicycle analogy I gave last week, where the easiest way to stay on a bike and not fall off is to keep it in motion, to keep things moving. You also learn a lot by doing that. Um, you know, if, if there's some idea that you could learn, it does say putting it into practice, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. Um, a lot of things that we learn in life especially with God, I'll, I'll make an analogy. When I learned how to cook, um, I was in college and I was making breakfast. I was making Rice Krispie treats with whey protein and, and it was getting so mundane. I added food coloring sometimes and chocolate chips, but that, I mean, that was my breakfast for a long time, that and a sunny delight. And then Pillsbury breadsticks I would put in the oven and have marinara sauce and ranch. That was a regular. Pizza rolls were a regular. Um, maybe grilled cheese sandwiches and hamburgers, but like that was my diet. Like for years in college, that those were pretty much my staple meals. And they were good. I liked them. Does that mean I was a good cook? No. Did I know how to make those things well? Yes. Later in life, uh, I would show this desire to have healthier food habits and um, exercise and do a bunch of other stuff. So eating became kind of part of that. And so I learned to cook better. Now I had some cookbooks and that helped. What really helped is I had two Christian friends that took me under. I said, why don't you come over to our house? You know, you can cook with us. And, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how to cook various things. And it was great. It wasn't only the discipleship aspect or the sharing, but it was also putting it into practice. Now I learn a lot by practicing, you know, by saying, oh, I'm going to try this recipe, you know, baked Alaska. If you don't know what it is, look it up. But you put ice cream in the oven. That's all I'm saying. It's interesting. But these, these things tend to, you learn from putting it into practice. And I think that's one thing with peace. If you want to 
have more peace in your life, you want to get better at having peace in your life, I think there's the three-part aspect. It's not only having a cookbook, the Bible, having friends that know how to cook, other Christians that are true, loving Christians that are walking in the way of God, but also walking the walk, putting it into practice, thinking about him day and night, talking to others about him, you know, talking to your family about him, serving at a church, help, letting them help you find avenues. These are ways to bring peace. So we learn that. So this righteousness comes, I think, there at the end there where it says putting into practice, a righteous life. And we get that not by our own works. We get that through resting in God. There is a relationship though, right? The book of James is great for this, right? Uh, works and deeds tied directly to faith in God. Like, show me your faith in what I do. I'll show you my faith in what I do. So we want to emphasize that. One thing about works in, I think of the Old Testament, and it's God's laws, and people look at those rules and they're like, man, they're, they're rules, they're challenges. And I think if you look at the Old Testament, it doesn't view itself that way. As a matter of fact, many people in the Old Testament would look at it differently. And we're going to read some passages about that today, but it ties to this. I believe that these are more like boundaries. So when I'm reading these passages, listen to what God says about this and how people are receiving these ideas of these laws or rules. All right? Psalm 119, 164 through 168. That's Psalm 119, verses 164 through 168. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous laws. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I follow your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. The psalmist there loves God's laws, and he looks at them as a way of helping him, right? A, a way to not stumble, right? You ever worried about failing? Worried about something going wrong? You want to not worry about stumbling? You want to be at peace? Look towards God and the boundaries he set. How about Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8? This is at Sinai. Look at the way that Moses sees this. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. You will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely the great nation, this great nation, is as wise as a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Look at what Moses is saying to them. He's like, you're going to be envied by other countries. They're going to look at you and say, wow, your God is with you. He's talking to you. Look at, you have these laws. Now, the translation there is a little off, but you have an understanding of what God wants with you. That's incredible peace. One of the biggest concerns of the ancient world was they didn't know what the heck the gods wanted. And so they were always struggling with like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Like, is this going to make the God mad? Is this going to make the God happy? Maybe the God will show favor to us. Maybe, maybe he won't. Oh man, we better not do that. All the worry because they had no idea what their relationship with God was or gods if they were pagan. And this was concerning to them. But now Moses looks at this as like, man, look how awesome this is. We know what our God wants and we know he's with us. I am. He is present with us. That brought them great peace and they had his word to know what he wanted. In parenting, 
there is this concept when your kids are growing that we encounter regularly about them testing boundaries. And from what scholarship I've read, there's a reason for this. And the kid wants to know the rules. He wants to know what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. He wants to know what he can do and what he can't do. What'll bring a sad face on mommy and daddy, what possibly could bring discipline and what can be fun. Which is why it's always hard when your kid does something that's not supposed to and you laugh at it. What's the kid do next? The same thing he just did because he made you laugh. That boundary that you just established was that this is fun, right? But if you say no, he might even test that one again. Like, wait, were you really upset about this? Maybe he doesn't understand. So he's trying to figure it out. Sometimes I think it's just to poke at us. I'm convinced of that actually. But I think many times it actually is to the idea of getting a boundary. When I say to my boys to do something like out in the yard or to not go on the road, I'm very emphatic about not going in the road and they don't do it. But they are curious about how close they can get sometimes. Daddy, is this okay? Yeah, that's okay. You're not in the road. Okay. One time we asked Alec to go get the mail. We were out there with him and he realized he had to go out in the road and he's like, I can't do it. I don't know how. And it's like, okay, this time we're out here with you. Look both ways and go ahead and walk out and we'll watch. And he did it and he learned how to do it. And then he realized the boundary there. He realized that it wasn't just the road that was dangerous, but there were things that could happen. And as we learn, as we grow, we learn more about how this works out. But it is really good to have those boundaries that we can just trust at first to be safe. The same thing with you know, any tools that they find or anything that could be dangerous when they, if they get into the dishwasher, if there's knives in there, how they have to be careful with them. We need to teach boundaries. And I think God does that with us. We also teach boundaries so that people know we're different, you know, to, to know that we love God, what we do and what we don't do, even though sometimes it might not seem like it's right. We want to convey a certain thing. We want to convey that we have a relationship with God. How about Isaiah 26, two through four? Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. This idea of trusting in God. Look, if you don't understand some of the laws, if you don't understand why you do certain things as Christian, find out. Find out why. It's really important because the what really causes a lot of young Christians, I think, to struggle. Sometimes if they don't understand the why behind it, I think when their faith becomes their own, they don't know why they're a Christian. They know what to do if you were a Christian, but they don't know why, and therefore it loses any clout. And then they start to doubt it. And then they think, well, they didn't have any reasons for it. I have reasons for a lot of the things I do as a Christian. Some things I do based in faith. I don't always understand, but I trust God. So it's a relationship dynamic as well. Another passage that ties this idea of um, righteousness to peace directly is Isaiah 32, 17 through 20. Listening to the opening verse, the fruit of the righteousness will be peace. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. I like that quietness and confidence. It's not just the stillness that we know kind of relates to peace, but there's also a confidence that even in the storm, you're going to be just fine. That bird is a good example maybe of confidence in being at peace in confidence. 
My people will live in peace, dwelling, peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. There is a concept of how deep that peace goes, what confidence can bring. When you don't focus on all those worries, you have energy to focus on other things. Mark 5, 31 through 34. A woman came up and um, had touched Jesus. And listen to what Jesus' response to her is when it concerns peace. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She had faith. When she touched God, she, was, she wasn't clean. And she had faith that by touching him, she could be healed. She didn't understand it, but she trusted in him. He tells her, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Right? It's not just one gone away, but the other supplements it. These two can't exist together. The idea of peace and anxiety aren't going to exist together. You'll struggle to go back and forth between the one. I think confidence and reassurance and trust and faith are ways that we get rid of these worries and anxieties and start to have confidence. It's not a blind faith. I think confidence actually comes from practice makes permanent, right? The more you do something, the more you realize it, the more confident you are. It's like a duck on, some people think as a Christian, sometimes it's like, well, it's so easy for you, Leo. And I give him the example of a duck on a pond. I said, you know, sometimes things look easy, but they're not. You know, a duck is just floating on the water, moving forward, but underneath the water, he is paddling like crazy. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. He might make it look easy. Professional athletes, when they play sports, man, they make it look easy sometimes, like shooting that ball and it going through the hoop or running, you know, or throwing a ball. But they are confident. It's what they do. It's their profession. They practice it constantly. It's not easy. You have to work to get there. You have to work in your relationship with God to get to a place of confidence with God. For me, I can tell you how that happened. It happened through going to church with Christian friends, not just standing in a building. I mean going and being with people and relating to people and talking to Christians and looking at people who I think had their act together, who looked like they had the fruits of the Spirit, and then involving myself with them. It came from serving at the church, getting involved in ministries and working with people. Even though I'm not perfect, working with people made me see things. And studying the Bible, probably the number one thing presently in my life for sure is studying the Bible and learning more and then teaching it, sharing it with others, has brought me a deep confidence and peace during all sorts of times, during times of political unrest, during times of just the world not being at peace, during times of you know a pandemic. Definitely being present with God has brought me peace. Listen to Luke 2, 13 through 15. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see his, this thing that has happened, 
with which the Lord has told us about. You recognize this. Uh, it's part of what we typically hear at Christmas. It's about the birth of Christ. But on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. God's favor can be given to anybody, but it's his children that get it, right? As a dad, I definitely give, not favoritism, but I love my children. They're my children. I have a relationship with them. There is something significant about that. There's also this passage, and it's um, it says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10.34 And Paul wrote, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This, These passages, this idea, God didn't come to bring peace. You're like, wait, Leo, you just did this entire thing on God and peace. Right, but it, remember it says there, peace to the earth. God did not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. People are going to divide. God didn't come to bring world peace. Actually, that's the thing that the Antichrist brings later, but that's a whole different podcast. People are going to divide on what is right and wrong, what is truth and what is lie. And I think you're starting to see that already. Peace on earth isn't what God is bringing, but peace to a Christian is is definitely possible. So don't get confused thinking that everything's going to go right in the world because you have a relationship with God. That's not the case. Thinking that your world surroundings is going to be all great and peachy, I'm not saying that either. What I am saying is that you can be like that bird sitting on the branch and with all chaos folding in around you, when other people are panicked, you can have peace. You can have a confidence knowing that your God is present. I think one boundary we have to peace is really our trust in God. And I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the example. The parable of the man who was wealthy and went to Jesus and he goes, I've done all these things. I, I've kept your laws and everything else. What else do I, do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, go and sell everything. And the man's sad because he's wealthy and he, he walks away. He's like, I, don't, I can't sell everything. But he was so good. How close is he? Well, you see, he, he had his faith in something else, apparently. And that's pretty significant. Is there something in your life that you're not bowing the knee to God on? That, that's a pretty significant deal. Um, I think those one things are typically what keep us from having peace because we're focused on that one thing. If you're... For example, that wealthy man, if money was one of his things, then he's going to focus on that. And he's going to be worried about having it and not having it. And those ultimately will get in the way of you finding peace. Isaiah 48, 18 says this. God says, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea, meaning your peace would have been strong, continuous, flowing, living water is the idea of a river flowing continually. And it would affect your children is what it said in verse 19. So it just talks about the depth of paying attention to God, listening to him, trusting, even if sometimes you don't understand. I'll, I'll leave you with this idea. Psalm 1 is an introduction to, this, to the Psalms, really. And it, it gives this concept. 
It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of the sinner, or take s- or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like shaft that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The idea of being blessed, I would consider to be at peace. And it talks about one who is blessed does not walk in step with the wicked. In other words, your actions aren't like those of the world. Or stand in the way of the sinner. Right. What, where your presence, where your company you keep, you keep company of godly people. You try to keep that balance good. It's not that you don't go out and witness to people, but that your close friends, the people you spend time with, are godly people. And then sit in the company of mockers. This idea of sitting brings the idea, not just of like who you're hanging around with, but kind of your philosophy of life. Like who do you talk to about deepening your understanding of God in life? What are your worldviews? How does practical theology work? See, that's the whole point of these podcasts. Practical theology has always hoped for you to see more of the actual of like how and why of God, not just the what. Do you see how God can pick multiple world leaders? Do you see how God can use women in ministry? Do you see how God looks at racism, you know, and favoritism and how it's really easy to look towards one while ignoring the other? The practical side of theology is meant to bring peace. So until next time, go and live it out.